Good morning and welcome to our time of worship today. As we gather in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are called to worship in the words of the psalmist from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so truly, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Grace to you then and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ in the communion of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. Beloved in Jesus Christ, since it is our hope next Lord's Day to celebrate the blessed sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we are called to prepare our hearts by rightly examining ourselves. For the Apostle Paul has written, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. Let all of us then examine our lives. And considering our own sin and the wrath of God on it, be sure that we humble ourselves in repentance before God. Let us examine our hearts to be sure that we trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation and that we believe our sins are forgiven wholly by grace for the sake of our Lord's sacrifice on the cross. Finally, let us examine our consciences to be sure that we resolve to live in faith and obedience before our Lord and in love and peace with our neighbors. God will surely receive at the table of his Son all who truly repent of their sins, believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, and desire to do his will. All those, however, who do not repent, who do not put their trust in the Lord Jesus, and who have no desire to lead a godly life are warned, according to the command of God, to keep themselves from the Holy Sacrament. If we are living in disobedience to Christ and in enmity with our neighbor, we must repent of our sin and reconcile ourselves to our neighbors before we come to the Lord's table. For if we partake of the sacrament in unbelief and willful disobedience, we eat and drink judgment to ourselves. This solemn warning is not designed, however, to discourage penitent sinners from coming to the Holy Sacrament. We do not come to the supper as though we were righteous in ourselves, but rather to testify that we are sinners and that we look to Jesus Christ for our salvation. Although we do not have perfect faith and do not serve and love God with all our hearts, and though we do not love our neighbors as we ought, we are confident that the Savior accepts us at his table 
when we come in humble faith with sorrow for our sins and with a will to follow him as he commands. All then who are truly sorry for their sins, who sincerely believe in the Lord Jesus as their Savior, and who earnestly desire to lead a godly life, ought to accept the invitation now given and come with gladness to the table of their Lord. That we may rightly examine ourselves before God, let us seek his gracious help through prayer. Almighty God, who has given us the gospel of Jesus Christ, and who has provided a most wonderful communion with him through the mystery of the sacrament, we ask you for grace to enable us to prepare our hearts to receive holy communion. To all who sincerely believe in your Son and truly repent of their sins, grant assurance of your gracious readiness to receive and bless them in the supper of their Lord. To all who have not repented and have not put their trust in the Lord Jesus, grant a restraining fear of this supper, lest their condemnation be greater. But have mercy upon these and grant them grace to repent of their sins and seek their salvation in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We confess, O Father, that we have all offended your majesty and deserved your judgment. We have transgressed in our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. We are truly weak. Be merciful, O God, and grant us your pardon, and let us come to the sacrament in the joy of your forgiving love. Answer us, O God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's look to the Lord our God in prayer. Almighty God, Father of all mercy, we give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness toward us and toward all that you have made. We praise you, Father, for our creation, preservation, and for all the blessings of this life. But above all, we offer you our thanks for your immeasurable love in the redemption of your people through our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you as well for the means of grace by which you call us to yourself, for your Holy Spirit who seals us for the day of redemption and for the hope of glory that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, we pray that you would give us such an awareness of all that you have done, that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but with our lives, by giving ourselves to you and to your service, by not conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will as we walk before you in holiness and righteousness all of our days. We pray, Father, for the needs of your people in our congregation, 
community, and families. We pray for all those who are ill or struggling in body, soul, or spirit. Father, we pray that you would hold each one of us close in your love and mercy and that you would grant the healing that comes only by your grace. We pray for those who are lonely and isolated during this time. We pray that you would give the comfort and assurance of your presence with each one. Father, we pray for those who struggle with sorrow, depression, and anxiety. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. We pray as well for those caught in sin. Set us free by your grace to walk before you in love and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, this morning, on this All Saints Day, Reformation Day weekend, we pray for your church. We pray for your church here in High River and around the world. And Father, we think especially of our brothers and sisters who are enduring persecution for the sake of the gospel at this time. We pray, Lord, that you would protect and defend your people. We pray that you would make us strong in faith. We pray that you would let the light of the gospel shine through our darkness, that we may glorify you in all things, testifying to all that we are your people and you are our God. Father, above all, we pray that as we worship before you this day, you would work in us what is pleasing to you through Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name, and we pray that to him would be all glory, honor, and praise forever and ever. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 2. I will begin reading in verse 8 and read through verse 11 in the English Standard Version. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. This is God's word for us. May he add his blessing to our reading and our hearing as we worship him together this morning. About a hundred years after the scripture that we just read, a bishop, Polycarp by name, served as pastor to the church at Smyrna. Now that's interesting because he was an early father in the church, as we know them, the church fathers, and other fathers, Irenaeus and Tertullian, both wrote that Polycarp had been an actual disciple of John the Apostle, the one through whom, humanly speaking, we have received the book of Revelation. So Polycarp was a student of John. John was his mentor. And another source goes so far as to say that it was John the Apostle who appointed Polycarp to be the Bishop of Smyrna. 
It's also interesting because as the pastor at Smyrna and a former student of John, Polycarp would certainly have been not only aware but extremely familiar with this brief little epistle in Revelation chapter 2, this letter from Jesus Christ, the Lord of the church himself. It's also interesting because in AD 168, Polycarp would die a martyr in the arena of Smyrna, bearing witness before an angry mob to his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. One author has written, once inside the arena, the soldiers quickly brought Polycarp before the Roman proconsul. The well-known bishop of Smyrna was the last living link with the 12 apostles as he had studied under John. The proconsul tried to get Polycarp to deny Christ, swear by the fortune of Caesar, take the oath and I will release you, curse Christ. But the bishop stood firm. Eighty-six years have I served the Lord Jesus Christ and he has never once wronged me. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? The proconsul threatened, I have wild beasts ready, let them come. For my purpose is unchangeable, replied Polycarp. If the wild beasts don't scare you, then I will burn you with fire. You threaten me with a fire which will burn for an hour and then will go out, but you are ignorant of the fire of judgment, reserved for the everlasting torment of the ungodly. But why do you delay? Bring on the beasts or the fire or whatever you choose. You shall not move me to deny Christ, my Lord and my Savior. And when the proconsul saw that Polycarp would not recant, he sent the herald to proclaim three times in the middle of the stadium, Polycarp has professed himself a Christian. Polycarp has professed himself a Christian. And as they heard these words, the whole multitude of Gentiles and Jews furiously demanded that Polycarp be burned alive. Of course, we do not know. But I wonder if the words of Jesus in Revelation 2 were resounding in his mind as the old bishop of Smyrna made his way to the stake. The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Easy to say, perhaps, but not quite so easy when you can see with your own eyes the stake to which you are about to be nailed and the pile of dry wood that is being stacked at its base. But these are the words of the first and the last. As Douglas Wilson has written, the protos and eschatos, the beginning and the end, he encompasses all of human history. He contains it all. Not only does he contain all human history, but he established himself as Lord in the very middle of it by his resurrection from the dead. These are the words of Jesus, of whom the writer to the Hebrews exhorts us, saying, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So these are words, but they are not mere words. They are the word of the Lord. They are words written 
in the blood of the one who died and came to life, that he, as the catechism teaches us, might thereby free us from the severe judgment of God to which we were exposed. The old bishop would have been well aware of all of this when he stood up to the proconsul and said, How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? But in Smyrna, a large and busy seaport of over 100,000 people, it was almost certainly not the first time that Polycarp had been challenged on this. Known for its beauty as a city by the sea, Smyrna was also a city fanatical in its adherence to the imperial cult. Caesar was worshipped as a god there, one among, one among many, but worshipped still as a god. And, and Cicero, one of Rome's greatest orators, is said to have called Smyrna the city of our most faithful and most ancient allies. Another author has written, along with the other cities of Asia province, Smyrna competed for the honor of building a temple to Tiberius in 26 AD, winning the honor and becoming temple warden of the imperial cult. This fervor meant that Christians in Smyrna were not only viewed as outsiders, they were considered, with no little irony, to be atheists because they only worshipped the living God and they denied the gods of Rome and the deity of Caesar. Because of the way that this imperial cult had a hold on the various trade guilds, anyone who was unwilling, as the Christians were, to make that declaration, Caesar is Lord, would have had a very difficult time obtaining the basic necessities of life. Imagine in our day, if every time you walked into Sobeys or Safeway or Co-op, somebody said, you must take a knee and you must declare Trudeau is Lord. Now, of course, you wouldn't have to believe it. No one could see into your heart to determine if the thing were true or not. Any more than in Smyrna, they could see into the heart of the Christians to know if they really believed that Caesar was Lord. You wouldn't have to really believe it, but you would have to say it. You would have to bow. You would have to worship before the image of the emperor and say that the divine Caesar was Lord. And I wonder if we would. I wonder if we would bow down rather than become, as the Christians at Smyrna did, an object of economic boycott on account of their refusal to align themselves with either the pagan state worshipers or the apostate Jews. Things were not good there. Jesus said, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. Presumably because Jesus wanted to remind them and wants to remind us that there are things that are worth far more than the treasures and the pleasures of this world. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, says the Lord Jesus Christ. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. In his commentary on the book of Revelation, David Chilton wrote, a popular myth holds that non-Christian Jews are true believers in the God of the Old Testament and that they have only need to add the New Testament to their otherwise adequate religion. 
There are false teachers out there who have claimed that even the step of adding the New Testament to their adequate religion is really totally unnecessary. But Chilton goes on, who then is the true Jew? Who belongs to the true Israel? According to the clear teaching of the New Testament, the person, regardless of his ethnic heritage, who has been clothed with the Lord Jesus Christ is the inheritor of the promises to Abraham and possesses the blessings of the covenant. But a congregation of apostates and persecutors is nothing more, our Lord says, than a synagogue of Satan. For, as the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, all this tribulation, poverty, and slander might seem like a recipe for despair. It's certainly not the so-called gospel which is really no gospel at all that some purport to teach these days. But it was not unexpected by the church in the first century. Paul wrote to Timothy, the pastor at Ephesus at the time, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. And please note what comes next. Indeed, all who desire to lead a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. See, even Paul, when he writes, yet from them all the Lord rescued me, is not saying that Jesus took the persecution away or that he prevented it from happening. Certainly, the Lord was able to do this, but chose not to. But he preserved Paul's life. The Lord rescued him. But only after Paul endured all of those things. So he admonishes his son, Timothy, in the faith, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Just as he wrote to the Philippians, for it has been granted to you. It is a gift from God. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. And in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus does not promise to prevent the tribulation, poverty, and slander that the church at Smyrna is enduring. Rather, he says to them, do not fear what you are about to suffer. And just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you might be tested And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. As I said, this is not the so-called gospel, which is not a gospel that some purport to teach today. Rather, it's another call for the people of God to take up the cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a call to the church at Smyrna, and it is a call to all who have ears to hear. 
Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna, heard it. That's why he said to the proconsul, You threaten me with a fire which will burn for an hour and then go out. But why do you delay? Bring on the beasts or the fire or whatever you choose. You shall not move me to deny Christ, my Lord and Savior. The story goes on from that point when they were about to nail him to the stake. Polycarp said, leave me as I am. He who gives me strength to endure the fire will enable me to remain still within the fire. They agreed to this and simply tied his hands behind his back with a rope. Then he prayed, O Father, I thank you that you have called me to this day and hour and have counted me worthy to receive my place among the number of the holy martyrs. Amen. And as soon as he uttered the word amen, the officers lit the fire. The flames rose high above his body, but he was not burned. Those who watched said he was in the midst of the fire, not as burning flesh, but as gold and silver refined in a furnace. And we smelled such a sweet aroma as of incense or some other precious spice. Then, since the fire did not hurt him, the executioner was ordered to stab him with a sword. And as the story goes, so much blood flowed from the wound that it put out the fire. And perhaps it did. But it wouldn't have mattered to Polycarp at that point. He had already been faithful unto death. And Jesus Christ had given him the crown of life, a victor's crown, the wreath that was placed on the head of one who successfully ran the race. Of course, that was a long time ago in a place far, far away, or so it seems. Names like Polycarp and the church at Smyrna aren't exactly headline news these days, but sadly... Neither are names like Pastor Wang Yi and Early Rain Covenant Church. In fact, they rarely get so much as a mention in mainstream media. And depending on which search engine you use, they can be kind of hard to find on the internet too. It, it, it seems that, that Google doesn't like us finding articles about the Chinese persecution of the church. But this is the church who, when their worship was broken up by the arrest of about a hundred of their members in December of 2018, adjourned their worship to a nearby park, where publicly then, someone led them in a recitation of question and answer one in the Heidelberg Catechism. Most of you know it. Please say it with me. What is your only comfort in life and in death? that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation." Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. And again, 
easy words to say, perhaps, but, but not so easy, either in English or in Chinese, when you have just seen your husband or wife, your children, or your parents arrested and detained by the police in a country where many never return from such imprisonment. And the persecution has not stopped. Pastor Yi was sentenced to nine years in prison about a year after he was first arrested in December of 2018. More recently, and, and please forgive me if I mispronounce these names, but more recently, Elder King Defu and his family was sentenced to four years in prison for the sake of the gospel. Also, just three weeks ago, Elder Li Yingquang was removed from his home and detained while a police officer threatened his wife and his eight-year-old daughter and five-year-old son, claiming that they would take action not against Li, but against his family if he would not cooperate with the ban against the church. I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death. Not so easy after all. To my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing from now on to live for him. And he makes us also wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to die for him. Of course, these are just the words of the catechism. They are just human words. But by faith, they resonate with the words of the first and last who died and came to life. He said, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. And we should, of course, stand with our brothers and sisters around the world who are being persecuted in China, in Nigeria, in so many other places where people suffer for their faith and for the sake of the name of Jesus. But I think increasingly it seems that a day may be coming when we may be asked whether we are willing to lay down our comforts and our security, and to take up that cross ourselves. I think a day may be coming when we will be given the choice to say either Caesar is Lord or Jesus is Lord. And that day may come packaged as a requirement to comply, to conform to the pattern of this world. Of course, the Apostle Paul wrote, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But who can say what the price of that nonconformity may be? Still, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear 
Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. May we pray. Father in heaven, as we have listened to your word this morning, speak to us through it. Speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Work in us what is pleasing to you. Helping us to conform always. Not to the world, but to your perfect holy will. Helping us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds as we feed our souls on your holy, precious, and divine word in Jesus' name. Amen. I just used this same passage for the benediction last Sunday, but it fits so well with what we have been considering here this morning. I want to use it again. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. We say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere people do to me? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd, of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen.